1994年11月20日女子プロレスの一番熱く長い一日史上最大の決戦ビッグエッグレスリングユニバースドーム頂上対戦ただいまより開催いたします Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I'm your host, George Thompson. With me, as ever, I have Sarah Parkin and David Forrest. How are we all doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm not bad. Um, I'm drinking a nice can of well. Just have nothing on my mind. I'm going to football on Saturday. It's going to be great. <laughs> Meanwhile, I am sat here drinking uh, decaf tea out of a large mug that's put that is a Kermit the Frog mug. Uh, and frankly, that's just the cheerful pick-me-up that I'm needing to get me through the dark and cold and incredibly windy night. We just nearly paused recording because we just heard like the sound of our door sort of nearly caving in with the wind and it was very strange. I mean, I, I, I accidentally set off the burglar alarm uh, coming home because I forgot to deactivate it and then just unlocked it. It was like, oh, what, what's that noise? But like, the, the I mean, the good thing is that the, like the um, alert to our phone when the burglar alarm is tripped works. So that's uh, nice to have uh, proved that without actually getting robbed. It's quite terrible that like you aren't able to enter your own house with more decorum than me when I'm drunk. Yeah, that is <laughs> like... that is somewhat worrying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, everyone, everyone doing pretty good, and we are ready to talk about in episode four. Uh, so basically, what we're doing is a couple of episodes coming up now about the other promotions that took part in Big Egg Podcasting Universe. It's not going to be all of the um, stuff about the other promotions because in the um, V Top tournament, which is the climax of the show, there were outsiders. But we're just going to give you a flavour of the other companies that were involved in this show because uh, a lot of the the big uh, AJW shows, I'm talking about the ones they did at the Budokan, were cross-promotional with a lot of uh, other promotions that were running at the time. Promotions like JWP and LLPW, uh, FMW, which had a women's division, uh, and uh, Gaia, which we mentioned in the last episode, which was Chigison Nagayo's new promotion that she had uh, founded, and we're going to be um, talking about that a little bit today. So that's the long and short of it, what we're going to be doing with episodes four and five. So a couple of matches in each, uh, undercard matches, just really designed to show off some of the, I guess, 
good hands who weren't necessarily going to uh, be main eventing anytime soon, and some of the rookies from these promotions as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, it should be a should be a should be a nice breezy time. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Like I um I I'm sure this is like very evident to anyone who ever has met me for more than four minutes. But um I like in terms of like with these cross brand things, I like wrestling to be make me feel like a nine year old. I've mentioned this several times on the podcast, and there's nothing that blows my nine year old mind more than two promotions. Who are who don't ever interact against each other, fighting off in a battle to the death. Doesn't matter who what it is. I love it. it. It's just it's just wonderful. It's just the the streams crossing. You cannot beat it. Well, I would say I'm, I and and I think you guys as well are pretty much exactly the right age. That like my golden age of wrestling when I was a kid when I first started watching. I actually have. I'm one of the people who actually has genuinely, you know, like positive memories of the invasion angle in WWF. Like, I have uh, uh, that whole looking back, now that I'm older and wiser and I understand what an absolute shit show all of that was, I'm looking back and going, yeah, but I kind of still don't hate it because at the time I bought it hook, line and sinker. All of the WWF, WCW, ECW invasion angle, I absolutely lapped it up as a kid. Yeah. I mean, when I, when Survivor Series happened, I remember Survivor Series happened, I was still at school, we taped it and we watched it the day after. I was genuinely scared that, like, we would wake up the next day and then Raw would be in Channel 5, and everyone, someone, every time someone got hit by a chair, it would go kabong on top of it, because WCW had won the Monday Night Wars, and was just now running wrestling. I, 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 was, actually, uh, I actually w- uh, looked at the TV mag, um, the next week's edition that my parents had bought, to check that WWF Raw was still on uh, listed as being on Sky Sports on, on 3 on the Monday, <laughs> just just to check that they, uh, they had. So I, I sort of went... And yeah, looking back, it was one of these things where I was like, okay, like not really having experienced uh, Sting or the NWO or Goldberg or anyone like that. Like I knew some of those people were, but... Um, not re- kind of realising that WCW hadn't bought the biggest stars and only things like, oh, Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page and fucking Sean Stasiak and G. Morris. <laughs> These are the uh, big hitters that this promotion has uh, has got to offer. So, I mean, Atlanta we- GA's finest, Shane McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Power Plant's finest. I, I would like to see, I would, I would absolutely give so much money to see Shane McMahon as like a WCW Worldwide regular. Because I think him turning up on the sea shows in ninety would actually just be the greatest thing of all time. I think he'd be incredible. That would be hilarious. Shame, 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 McMahon there putting Louis Theroux through his through his paces. Um, so yeah, nothing Former of the Former World Cup winner and European champion, the Spain of wrestling, Shane McMahon. <laughs> I mean, nothing of the gravitas of um, the the such as it was uh, going on here. But what we do have are a couple of uh, entertaining mid card matches. The first of which pits uh, chapter. Parisa Wasari, who's the only AJW regular in this match, and uh, Bomber Hikari, who represented, um, looking at the notes here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Sarah. Against uh, Hiromi Sugo and Hiromi Yagi from JWP. So, uh, Sarah, just tell us a little bit about, uh, we, we mentioned it in episode three, but uh, uh, Gaya Pro Wrestling, uh, Chickas and the Guys promotion, little bit of um, things to catch people up with it. Yeah, so... 
as you, as those of you who have been listening intently for the previous episodes will have noticed, and why wouldn't you have been? Um, so Chigusa Nagayo, who had been this hugely influential figure, um, especially during the the eighties, kind of really led the charge in the the peak uh, of, of Joshi amongst its predominantly younger and, and female fan base, um, had. Had gotten to sort of 1989, hit the mandatory retirement age for AJW, and essentially, despite mostly being kind of on top of the world, um, she and Lioness Asuka, her tag team partner, um, although they had split and feuded, basically ended up both retiring within 1989. Now, both of them were comparatively fit and healthy, and if there is one thing that you are going to notice as a recurring theme as we're talking about all of these other companies, it's that 26 is too fucking young to be told that you're on the shelf. Um, Chikasa is just not ready for this in any way, shape or form. Um, So she gets to 1994 um, and she announces that she is launching her own wrestling promotion. So she has, I think she'd actually been around for the odd kind of freelance appearance in the early 90s, and I don't think that her first matches back were were in the run-up to this. Um, But she is... Part of the build-up to Big Egg as a show is this announcement of uh, of Gaia as this new promotion that's going to be coming out and that's going to has potential to shake things up a little bit. So the company is announced in August 1994, and there are three... So there's three charter members of it originally. Um, Chigusa, who we've talked about extensively and who is generally agreed to be the greatest. Um, but the other two are we're going to see in the matches that are just coming up, one of whom is Bomber Hikaru, and the other is Kyoru. Now, going back to the theme of 26 being too young to retire, Kyoru is, what, about... 50 now and she is still tagging with Dash Chizako and Sendai Girls like every show yeah yeah Kaoru is a long time uh, Chikasa enforcer but yeah she's uh, actually contracted to Marvelous which is the promotion mm. that uh, Chikasa is running at the moment and yeah we'll, we'll get on to her um, in the in the next match but uh, yeah she's she's still doing it at the age of 50 51 nowadays yeah and, and she's great I mean uh, so Kuru was actually um, an eight year veteran at this point because she's <laughs> actually yeah she actually debuted in 1986 so she debuted at a time when you know Chikasa is already riding, riding high you know where a year past the the infamous Budokan Hall show that had sort of people losing their minds over her versus Don Matsumoto. Um, so, but Kaoru then comes up behind her, and Boma Hikaru is uh, not actually that far behind them. Um, and then, when the company is announced at this August 1994 show, you have your sort of, your you have your triumvirate at the top. I just wanted to use that word. Um, and then you have a batch of rookies who have their auditions on this show and then who pass or fail. Now, many of these are names that you are not going to recognise, but we're going to get to certain work, but, you know, there's going to be some significant stuff later on. So, Toshie Uematsu, Sonoko Kata, Sugar Sata, Chihiro Nakana, Chikaya Nagashima, Maiko Narita... Maki Nimao and Mako Satomura. <laughs> yeah, one of those names is uh, very significant, um, especially to uh, long-time uh, watchers of uh, WWE, where uh, Mako has, of course, done most of her uh, most of her best work. <laughs> and, and, and you know that, that you know that woman, that Mako Satomura, she grew up to be the queen of England. <laughs> what an incredible story! She is now on the twenty-pound banknote. <laughs> I mean, and if she was, wouldn't we all prefer it? <laughs> Certainly the ones I printed in my house. <laughs> <laughs> right, what's the exchange rate of those two Okada dollars? 
I'll give you eight toilet rolls per note. <laughs> Sounds a bargain, to be fair, especially at the moment. Yeah, at the moment, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think it's important when you when you look at how this card is, is structured. Um, so three months later, you then come to Big Egg. So you actually have people who haven't had matches in Gaia being advertised as, as Gaia talent. So... Bomber Hikaru and Kyoru are in these matches and they are being billed as they're billed as gay. But really, this is just a way of advertising what's coming up. They're using this as a springboard for the next phase of their careers. Um, so Kyoru has been trained by Jaguar Kurta at that point. Um, so they're they're fitting into this template, but they're finding second lives for themselves. Really, they're looking for the whole idea of this setup is. What am I going to do now that I can't have AJW? And it's about finding a new home for all of those for all of those women. And actually, that's going to be a theme when we talk about some of these other companies as well. But then we get into this match, which I think is worth it's worth looking at because Bomber Hikaru now has the uh, unfortunate spot of being in the opening match of a ten hour long twenty four <laughs> match wrestling show, and that's that's not my idea of a fun time. Yeah, to be completely honest. You say that though, right? I would maybe argue, isn't it a good position? Where would you rather be? Would you rather be first or would you rather be in 18th? Do you know what? I'd rather be in the middle by the time the crowd's actually opened up a little bit. So, because not everybody's got to be there right at the start, surely. It does remind me of remember McGregor Mayweather. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember um, I, I worked uh, for Sky at the time and somebody in my work had deliberately went out to tell someone who was a dickhead the wrong start time so that they missed it. <laughs> right? And they told her, oh, it starts at like half four. And I was like, you can't tell them that. Why? Because it starts at 12, right? Then then I, I ordered 12 o'clock down. There was literally six people in the audience, right? It was six eccentric millionaires who had brought, bought front row and were like, we've paid £82,000 <laughs> For these tickets, I will be here for the entire event. I'm going to get smashed. I will be paralytic by the the, the third match. And then I won't remember the main event. And it was just these these like these two guys boxing to such drunk millionaires. Yeah, it's basically like the six people in the audience who were actual boxing fans. Yeah, pretty <laughs> so much. Literally, the it, literally, the me, like me, like if like I, you know, I have a historic record of turning up late for everything. But if I was going to something like this, I'd absolutely be there for like uh, opening bell because I'd want to just watch all. The, I don't want to miss the Doris Blind match. Certainly, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think as well, it might. I, I think it'd be quite cool to say you were the first women's match in the dome. Because they would have been, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess so, yeah. In the dome. You get to open the crowd, you get to make the crowd hot, or what crowd there is of it. It's, it's not quite the, you know, the, the WWE pre-shows where you open at fucking half one in the afternoon and you've got the revival and the, the, the offers of pain having, like, a 22-minute match in between pugs and a network. Like, people were there and, like... Yeah, yeah, they I turned up. If you offer me, I'd probably take that. I mean, I mean, the importance of the opening match in Japan is kind of it's not as much as it is in um, Dulului, where you kind of uh, they they always put something on to something eye catching and important. Whereas the Japanese 
shows traditionally they tend to put something that isn't that important at the start and then it just gradually builds up so mm-hmm. i mean the example i always use is pro, is pro wrestling noah's first tokyo dome show in 2004 and it's like oh this is like the biggest show in the company's history kabashi versus akiyama in the main event on top and the opener is just two 50 year old men doing spit play like um, <laughs> like they the joes i just put these old geezers out there and just like have them like do slow wrestling for like five minutes and that's considered an acceptable opener. I mean, this was a fucking work rate classic compared to that. Um, Hikaru's tag partner, uh, s- uh, someone we've actually talked about on the uh, on the main podcast before, Chaparita Wasari, if you remember when we did that uh, RJ Kong special. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, bringing back some sort of Vietnam flashback to that match on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> no, to be fair, that match is absolutely... So it, it's five so minutes. one of the best matches of Raw history. Yeah, oh, that was your favourite match on the episode. Absolutely, like I, I think Chaprit is a sari, a dentist would agree that it was like probably his favorite Josh match of all time. I'll tell you what, though, it is there's it's five minutes on an episode of Raw in is it nineteen ninety four? Yeah, ninety five. Because I looked up because I had a point to make about this and then realised it was like a year after. Oh <laughs> yeah, because she's missing a tooth in the uh, in the. Uh pre-match interview and you wanted to know if it was Archie it's like all those people trying to do like um, trying to narrow down when Kawada lost his front teeth <laughs> but it <laughs> but is this way after, after Sari faced Azra Kong the gap in their tooth was like three teeth to the right just knocked <laughs> along it is remarkable that that match is is somehow it's the it is Classic psychology, it's your plucky, you know, undersized underdog compared to, you know, your big, imposing monster heel, but getting enough flippy shit in and just enough sort of hope spots and just just enough to get yourself over whilst also being completely obliterated by a much bigger opponent. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's so well done, and she's such an adorable baby face. She's, she's amazing, like, uh, she's just a really very innovative high flyer, the um, innovator of the Sky Twister Press, so if you've ever enjoyed Charlotte Flair landing about six feet in between, uh, in between the two people who are meant to be catching her on Monday Night Raw, then um, like you've got Chaparita Vasari to thank for uh, uh, to creating be fair, that move. To be fair, Charlotte's moonsault is the dodgy one where she seems to land perfectly in the middle of them. Generally, yeah. she's I think not Sky done Twister many... Press as well. Well, she's only done the Sky Twister Press like three or four times even now. And I've got to say that actually when she pulls it out, because she only pulls it out for the really big matches, it pretty much always still wows the entire yeah it's, it's, like, it's, it's an amazing move it's so cool and and chaparita asari is someone who I, I have all the time for in the world and i honestly wish that more of her stuff was on tape because she's out here doing moves that i don't think i've seen anybody else do yeah she was never a main eventer i think it is quite funny i mean i'm just thinking of modern joshi when you have like very very tiny people like um uh, sakushi in the ice ribbon for instance who are like quite prominent but i think chaparita asari's size probably did count against her because like i mean i know people like akira hokuto for example are not big but like asari is really really small and uh mm-hmm. I, she never she never really got a a push and um i would have to guess that was the reason just because like the high flying shit she can pull off is easily the equal of say a manami toyota hmm. so um yeah i th- I, th- I think she's uh, she's really good you've clearly got a sort of um uh, um, I don't know how many years Asari had been in business. Bomber Hikaru was a seven-year veteran at this point. So it's, it's not really a rookie opener. It's more sort of established players versus um, the two rookies from JWP, Hiromi Sugo and Hiromi Yagi. 
and and what rookies they are. My, oh, they're adorable. My so in in my notes, and I'm just reading this out. I'm reading this out because this is what I said earlier on. I wrote down the rookiest rookies who ever rookied. Yeah, they are they are very much a definition of a trialist. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so much. They're just wearing their they're wearing their their lycra sort of little singlets. The you know they're very much the uh, the slightly modified swimsuit that you associate with like your eighties yeah uh, your your eighties rookies out of the lost and found box. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like <laughs> when you JWP offices. <laughs> like when you go to Primark and buy like five coloured t shirts for like three quid with no writing on them. Like yeah. that's like they've just got it's just literally generic gear. There's like not even like the promotions logo or their name just to. Uh, to differentiate it from anything. There's even a branding. It's not like there's like Mizuno or Asics or something. It's, there's none of it. They are literal creator wrestlers. Yeah. yeah. Which actually seems like missing a trick a bit, to be honest, because surely you'd use it to sort of... JWP, surely they should be using this, because actually, we'll talk about them later, but JWP in this form is still quite a young promotion by the time you get to Big Egg. So I'm actually wondering why you wouldn't use it to sort of display who they are a little bit more. Although then again, we've already had the opening ceremony where they came out with a big old eagle of the ninth standard uh, indicating who everybody was and where yeah, they were from. Yeah, you've, you've done that. I mean, yeah, in, in it's to just to bring things back to Chicks and Agayo, uh, her rookies in Marvellous, she's got uh, three at the moment called uh, Mei, Hoshizuki, Maria and... Uh, Makoto Shindo and they've all got the same type of singlet which is like camouflage in different colours and it's got the Marvelous logo on it so whenever she sends them out to other promotions they're always repping the company so maybe that wasn't an idea that JWP had at the time but um, I mean we, we couldn't really find much on these uh, on these two um, they both debuted in 1994 so they're only yeah, a few months in they are very very early early stage early career researchers as uh, my yeah. other line of work would, would, would mark them out I was gonna say, in terms of the in terms of the gear, we don't need to worry about the other team because my words, what what gear we have on it's uh, incredible. Let, let, add to the list of things that we all adore about Chaparita Asari, the fact that she is clearly dressed like some kind of eighties high sci fi fantasy, like with oh, such shoulder pads. She 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 looks like a space cadet. Right? Yes. I don't mean a space cadet as in you know zooming out her face on pingers outside you know the garage. I, I thought you were going to be like three like D pinball on Windows XP. But as well as that, to kind of tide it over, she has Matthew Kelly's coat from Stars in Her Eyes on top, <laughs> and I thought that was a, a fantastic touch. Just the game show coat, and then the space cadet outfit underneath. Bomber Hikaru as well. Her yeah. singlet, straight out of a 90s GMTV Mr. Motivator singlet. Oh, that's a very good point. My comparison was, uh, do you remember Zap on CITV? Yes. Yeah, like absolute fucking nightmare fuel in hindsight. But like, So yeah, I think the, the, the take home from our various thoughts about that gear is very, very 90s. Um, as, as speaking of 90s, their theme as well, I've, I've summed up their theme and that basically clearly what somebody's happened is that somebody has heard the theme from Gladiators. And thought, this is great. We know we'd make it even better if we put synth trumpet solos halfway through. <laughs> yeah, I... And to be fair, don't synth trumpets make most things better? I love all the all the uh, stock music on this uh, on this show because, like, I mean, it sounds like it was all written by the same guy and by by uh, apparently most entrance music in the nineties was written by the same guy. But what I also like is the the type of synths and the instrumentation is exactly the same as Spartan X. Like all these songs are Spartan X with different melodies. It's like the Wrestling Channel International Showdown version of Spartan X where they change like four notes. 
<laughs> Jimmy Hart getting his, his greasy mitts on the Spartanic <laughs> score. It very much feels like they had like a they they just got a staff writer. You know, and having having been the copywriter who's been like, I, I just I, I've got nothing. I'm just going to make this functionally the same as the thing that I wrote like half an hour ago, because that's what that's what it was like. You're speaking from experience. there. Oh, aren't you? no, I am speaking from experience. I just imagine you just that composer and you just they're like, look, I had one idea and I used it on the last space warrior. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, it's like Franz Joseph Haydn wrote 104 symphonies and they've basically got eight melodies between them. Like, it's very status quo, isn't it? Yeah, it really, it really. Very different, very different uh, musical uh, uh, milieus we occupy, David. Um, before the match starts, I mean, in terms, of, yeah, in terms of like general JWP chat, I think say Dynamite Kanta would be a better uh, jumping off point than these uh, two rookies when we uh, talk about that. If that's uh, that's okay with everyone, but like just before the match, the uh, the entrances, so the rookies do a light jog down to the ring. Still takes them fucking ages, even though they're jogging, because as we've said before, it's a very long ramp. Uh, didn't bow to all four sides of the ring, a la the rookies uh, nowadays, which I thought was a um, uh, distinct lack of decorum on their part. And well, then... there's, there's two bows, though. You know, they do what they can. They... Akin to Corbin not singing the national anthem at <laughs> <of> Senator. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's basically like you, you have to bow to the cheap seats. You know what I mean? Like you have to make sure they really see you bowing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that, um, uh, I think last year's Stardom Masked Fiesta when Oedo Tower were all doing their rookie gimmicks. And it was like really good comedy if you're familiar with the um, uh, the sort of traditions of Joshi rookies. And they just like, just it's, it's literally that thing out the Simpsons where they go to the Japan like, Royal Tokyo Hotel now with 20% more bowing. <laughs> um, the uh, the other entrance, uh, Chaparita Rosari, what the fuck? Um does the so there was a footballer called Lamana Chazor Lualua and he used oh to celebrate God. goals by doing literally about five consecutive backflips and mm. Chaparita Rosario I don't know how many she did but like it was I lost a lot. track I lost track but I'm not being funny that was Simone Biles levels of tumbling like it she was, was just ridiculous flip 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 all the way down that ramp and she just looks she looks fresh as anything I'd be like I'd be knackered by the time I got there well I mean I physically couldn't have done it in the first place but still future PWG champion Chaparita <laughs> Rosari honestly she would have gone down a storm in Reseda if they you know weren't a bunch of people who don't necessarily book women other than Candice LeRae yeah, yeah and she's in the bed now so you know exactly. um, but yeah it, it, I was also very impressed to Sari um, going slightly off centre uh, on like the third backflip and somehow not stacking it off the side of the ramp a la Kabashi getting Tiger suplexed in 2003 <laughs> um, so uh, that was very uh, that was very good so uh, the, the, this match tells a very simple story I, I, one thing I love in wrestling is rookie offence because again going back to these chicks and the guy are marvellous rookies they're really great wrestlers and they don't do moves not really. There's no, no like suplexes or throws or anything like that. What we have in this match is Hiromi Yagi does drop kicks and Hiromi Sugo does shoulder blocks and body slams. And there's not much more to what they do than that. Uh, Yagi's got some good submission stuff. Like she, uh, to quote uh, Charles Michael Dosa, I see she knows her judo well. Um, but um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really good. Like I um, uh, really enjoy seeing this sort of stuff. I will say as well, Chapri Asai as well, taking many, many awful bumps for the team because she takes quite a few drop kicks. There's one in particular where she just absolutely 
bounces off of this drop kick. She gets oh. and takes a hideous bump for it. She made them look like fucking the Von Eriks in the Sportatorium. Yeah, Absolutely. I know the one you mean. It was this uh, missile drop kick from Yagi. I, I love it immediately after that. Uh, Sugo does a much less impressive missile drop kick and kind of grazes Asari's knee. And I don't think this was an act of deliberate limb targeting. I think it was just a case of not enough air. I don't know if anybody if anybody actually noticed this, but that, yes, excellent dropkick, full-on nails her in the face. But prior to that, Asari has already done what I can only describe as a double backflip, backflip reverse dropkick. Like, I don't know if anybody else, I, I, you know, cottoned on to this. But she literally, she not? just... She just full-on backflips twice across the ring, and then, literally, she's not looking at anything at the time. She's looking the other way. She just does a drop kick and just manages to land pretty much squarely in the chest of her opponent. I'm not even sure which one she's doing the move to at the time, because I can't look anywhere other than her feet. Like, it's unbelievable. It's quite funny, because in like an episode 8 of the Pure Brie podcast, we kind of bigged up Yoshihiko as being this insane <laughs> cruiserweight ace. You could do all these amazing flips and stuff like that as we've had mm-hmm. as a sex doll. We kind of led, led people on about this. Turns out the Chapri SI, he kind of literally did that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I one thing that was kind of weird in the um uh in the opening uh so like Bob Hikaru is like quite quite a well built woman and so what I thought was gonna be like these plucky young JWP rookies like trying to take her off her feet in the same way that um you know think uh, Earthquake in late eighties uh, WWF or or Yokozuna like them really building up to the it people just wobble but they don't fall down. yeah yeah exactly yeah, no, yeah. No, no, but not a bit of it like Sugo's first move she just picks her up and body slams her it's it's really strange i thought they were gonna build it just like nope i thought it was quite quite interesting that bomber hikaru who is just there to be she's there to be the power wrestler and she is she's there to be the in some ways i think she's she's basing so that other people can drop kick her and and things like that she's considering that you know gayer is sort of being showcased in this it Showcased, but also not because ultimately, really, the all the focus here is on is on Chaparita Rosari and on her just sort of getting in, getting her shit in. In some ways, that's that actually works because she's the perfect opening match wrestler in terms of the way that we think about opening matches. In terms of getting the crowd hot, getting people excited, she's the the dream really. But yeah, Bomber Hikaru doesn't necessarily get the the same level of showcasing. No, not really. Like, um, I think this was about... I mean, Asari is clearly on, like, a different level to the other three women oh, in God. the match in terms of what she's uh, capable of. It's a real shame that she never got that run because she'd have been incredible. Like, she'd have been so, so good if she had got... If she had got a little run in AJW or somewhere and was given... Just, like given that sort of running with given that platform, like her against like Toyota and Hokuto and Bill Nakano and stuff like that on a sort of big stage would have been unreal. She would go on to be um the now I'm trying to think if I've got this right. Sarah, do you remember that um I think it was a JWP show we watched quite recently, um where it was Command Bolshoi versus Bolshoi Kid. Oh yeah, and it was yeah. That so was it weird. was the woman we know as Command Bolshoi and versus uh, Chaparita Asari, and I didn't know. So it was either Asari was 
Command Bolshoi, it was Bolshoi Kid 2 or the original Command Bolshoi, I can't uh, remember which one it is, but I remember like thinking, okay, so like two Bolshois in this economy and uh, looking up <laughs> who the second one was and I was like, oh, it's sorry, that fits, she was amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, there's uh, there's some uh, there's, yeah, there's some co- co- cool cool stuff in this uh, match, Yagi shows off um, I think her, her or Sugo had especially long or notable careers, but they both, both showed a Decent amount of something. The best thing I saw from uh, Bomber Hikaru in this match was um, the uh, the fabled finisher of Big Nasty Paul White, the alley oop, um, towards the end of the match. But it wasn't like you know how you really do cool. you know you do the alley oop like um, was it fucking Sable who used to used to do it? But like you you do the alley oop and you fall backwards onto your back and you take a bump. Um, Hikaru did that twice, but she didn't take a bump. She just stood there and just. Fucked Sugo over her, over her shoulder which, like a bag fair, of flour. Which, to be fair, is exactly the kind of baller power move that I want to see someone like her doing in this kind of match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I've got a fun fact about Bomber Hikaru. Yeah. Go on. Uh, do you know that Bomber Hikaru is Daniel's second favorite bomber behind Jay Russell's granddad? <laughs> that's that's a uh, that's a one for the uh, the um, uh, the triple P heads uh, there. Uh, finish finish was a bit weird like um for all that we've been putting over asari in this match and all the cool shit the finisher was kind of a not particularly impressive looking missile drop kick um van daminator without a chair yeah it was kind of it was it wasn't even a drop kick it was a sort of like a spinning heel kick yeah it looked a bit weird i don't know if it was that sugo bumped strangely off it but like it it didn't look that impactful compared to like you know a lot of the other drop kicks that we'd seen in the match so Mm, like especially after she'd forwarded her with a sky twister press to the floor oh shit yeah we completely forgot about that yeah let's um, that that would have been a far more logical finish because right i've done that and throw some in and just does it this weird van daminator it's a van van Terminator is not the coast to coast, is that right? No, no, that's the Van Terminator. Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a Van Daminator that she done, where she it's like basically where he put Van Dam would usually put his chair in front of the legs and do all this weird kick, and the chair would go into them. But um, they would usually be in the corner and he'd run into it with it. I think it's also an Arabian face buster. Sabu used to do it. That was that was but, kind of like a leg drop type thing, I think, with the chair. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a mixture between a kick and a leg drop sort of thing. And um, whatever it was, was no I've chair. got to say it looked really cool. It just didn't necessarily look like a finisher. Yeah, all of that one, Michael. No, no, no indeed. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the thing about the sky twister press, like we didn't, we yeah, you could have gone straight into the uh, into the. Uh, finish but like we had to get the alley-oops in first but the, the sky twister press so <laughs> the thing i like about um asari and we i think we did note this in the uh Arji kong special even though i can't remember if she got to do it in that uh incredibly violent raw match or not or whether it was just mostly her absorbing Arji kong's offense but um the way so the way charlotte flair does it going back to charlotte um charlotte being a former gymnast uh does a incredibly graceful consistent arc when she does the sky twister press to the outside, like she's always going at the same speed, she's always turning from side to side and flipping backwards at the same rate. Chaparita Asari basically just fucks herself from the uh, from the top rope onto the ground, just twizzling as fast as she humanly can, <laughs> and like it, it looks like basically she doesn't even know where she's going to end up. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is, it is um, uh, a guesstimate in terms of where she's going to land when she jumps off, absolutely. Yeah, Paul, Paul, you know, 
for whoever's got a catcher at that point, because, you know, they are essentially doing a little bit of it to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right. But I've got to say, they handled it really well in this match, because yeah. that... You bought the landing. Can, can you imagine Chaparita Vasari Sky Twister Press being caught by the Miz? <laughs> oh no. Better get that Lloyds of London insurance payout at the ready. <laughs> oh Jesus. I mean, Chaparita Sahi looks like she's going to jelly if someone who's a bit freestone too. <laughs> and she, she looks like you would just catch her and it'd be like catching a, like, a weekday newspaper or something like that. <laughs> Um, it's like your chip wrapper's blown away in the wind. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I mean, this this match basically did what a opening match... It's basically like the two elements of, I think, what makes an ideal opening match. So, basically, you had earnest rookies and cool high-flying shit. So, you basically got both bases covered. Hmm. And... And don't, don't forget as well that actually Bomi Hikaru is in there and she's not necessarily, like we say, she's not she's not the centre of attention, but you need somebody in there who can then counteract, you know, somebody who can take a decent drop kick and somebody who can bump for it and can actually give you that, the contrast in terms of the power and the, the styles as well. Yeah, she's it is kind of a, just very solid holding it together. Yeah, absolutely. I would really like to see a Bomber Hikaru Chapria Sari match. Oh, that that's a good point. I wonder if there's point. any that have made tape. Because um, I bet at some point, because Bomber Hikaru was a, a former AJW talent, so I wonder if they will have crossed paths at some point. I mean, uh, I mean, Brother Mort uh, like sent the link to like all 170 odd episodes of AJW Classic. So like, if you're gonna if you're gonna find tape of a singles match between them, it'll probably be in there. Um, so Is yeah, it's going to be our Patreon. We'll just go through all of the AGW classics. Oh, I, I, I would mean, for real though, if, wouldn't you? If we ever become decadent pigs and get a Patreon, then like I think we should. Uh, I, I'd definitely be up for that. I'd, I'd just be up for like mad seven. We're going right back to the early seventies shit. We're talking like Jumbo Miyamoto and uh, and people we're like that. Going old school. We, 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 I mean, I mean, just, I mean, just thinking like someone Jumbo Miyamoto. Like obviously we're going to be fans just just from the name. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, of but course. Uh, yeah, so that was the opening match. And uh, rather than uh, in the tradition of this podcast, rather than going to match two, uh, as I've said it on numerous occasions before, we're doing it by theme. So we're actually going to go on to match four. So this is a uh, AJW versus uh, Gaia singles match, uh, pitting Suzuka Minami versus Koru, who we've talked a little bit about before. I was going to say, please refer to her by her um, correct title. I'd just like to take a moment to all hail the absolute queen, Suzuka Minami. <laughs> that is you a... are such a sucker for a frilly coat, David. It's ridiculous. She's an absolute goddess, right? <laughs> she looked incredible. Like she, she looked like. Are you aware of the Luchador Fuego? Oh yeah, he does a yeah yeah yeah. That's a, a really good point. Yeah, he basically wears a coat like that and does a little dance. Yeah, but um, uh, Fuego's coat is shite compared to this. This, this yeah, it's in a like, museum. Get this in a museum right now. Bright orange, bright yellow, just fucking just fucking so yes. many layers. Like so much. Like like thinking about this just in terms of constructing that. There is so much fabric she just looked- involved in this. It's beautiful. I am delighted to announce that I am currently keeping a Queen's Look League table for all my favourite uh, looks from Big Egg, and uh, she's quite high at the moment. Does she overtake Bison Kimura, though? This is the uh, the 64,000 yen question. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's, that is, yes, it is overtaking Bison wow, Kimura. Wow, bloody hell, praise yeah. indeed. Wow. Kaoru basically looks no different to what she does now, apart from her hair is shorter. Yeah, so and she doesn't even get an entrance. 
No, she doesn't. She got a sort of already in the ring type uh, thing like she's about to be fed to the Ryback. It's absolutely incredible to think that she is. At this point, she's already eight years in. She's wearing... You can tell that she's not a rookie because her her Lycra swimsuit is at least sort of a bit developed and a bit customised. So she yeah, actually looks... Re- yeah, so she actually looks really cool with this kind of mostly black number with sort of the, the, the white silver sequins, whatever, whatever's going on with that there. Um, but it's incredible to think where she's gone because since this eventually and i know a lot of people do this as they get older and they adapt their style she's definitely gone down the far more like garbage wrestling turn up with a chair or a bin yeah doing hardcore matches and you know she wears the odd bit of camo and things like that when she turns up here on the indies now so it's really interesting to see where she's gone with she this. she can still do the high flying though i remember oh, yeah. it was like a couple of years ago she had a hardcore match against Akane Fujita in uh, Ice Ribbon, where she did a twisting moonsault off the top of a ladder. This was somebody who was like 49, 50 at the time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, she's like just evergreen as a, as a performer. It's what I love about Marvelous. It's like mostly young rookies and then a couple of uh, 90s AJW <laughs> like uh, mainstays. I think uh, Tomoko Watanabe, who we'll um, see in a later episode. I had a bit of a, uh, I need to remember, so her f- name's Kaoru Maeda, not Kaoru Matsumoto, who is uh, Matsumoto. Uh, our, one of our friends uh, found a Wikipedia edit the other day, which was on Dump Matsumoto's. I just need to talk about this because I'm not going to get another chance. Dump Matsumoto's Wikipedia page for four years and the, the nugget of information that she was known as the Nile Quinn of Joshi. That is absolutely incredible. I, I, it is, however, about the wrong Kaoru, so we're going to come back to yeah, the Yeah, I just really can't think of any... I think this Kaoru is more like Nile Quinn. Like, <laughs> and she's quite tall and ageless. <laughs> if, if if she's a Niall Quinn, who is the Kevin Phillips of Joshi? Bill Nakano. Bill Nakano is the Kevin Phillips of Joshi. That's correct. That's <laughs> there we go. Can't can't improve upon that. Guys, guys, three people in this conversation. Hi. Can, can anybody explain what just happened? It, it, it's fine. We're talking car movies. Don't worry about it. So um, right. Okay. Cool. With uh yeah, with regards to this um. One thing I love about the uh, one thing I love about the start of this match, um, I, I love this in wrestling, boxing, MMA, whatever. You know when they ring the bell and then the camera zooms out, and then they and, and then they miss a move. Like I've I've seen, I can't remember this was, was probably fucking Rising or something like that, but there was a MMA fight where or no no it was a bo- it's a boxing match where the camera zoomed out when the match started and by the time it had finished zooming out one of the guys was already on the floor <laughs> like the other guy one of the boxers walked over and decked him and we had that in this match where um they zoomed out and Suzuka Minari did a mad shit tilt a world backbreaker yeah like, it's it's right beautiful. off it's really weird because you you generally only see that move being done as a counter to someone coming off the ropes. It's amazing. So Kiora comes out swinging, basically tries to do the classic run at her and just no one really knows what you're trying to do when you get there, but you just run at them and you get the element of surprise. Suzuka just picks her up, grabs her, swings around, tilts a world backbreaker, and it looks devastating as well. It's, the fact that she gets up afterwards. It's incredible. It's like the like um like Alberto Del Rio used to do quite a good like rapid um uh, Total World Backbreak. As far as I'm concerned, the the faster the better. There's all like all load of old lucha bastards who still do uh, great ones. Speaking of old lucha bastards, uh, Kaoru's offense in the 
first bit of the match. You know, like Rey Mysterio in like 2010, 2011, when his knee was proper fucked and all yeah. he did was the balls to the face attack. <laughs> like I, I, I don't, I don't know what the name of it, but Karu is doing that where she's it's basically maybe you would describe it as an elevated Luthez press, but basically she's basically just leaping with her crotch onto um, onto Minami for the match, and then we get uh, sort of a harbinger of the of the quite advanced level stuff in this match, certainly in. Com- Compared to the opener, uh, Mexican surfboard. Yeah, yep. always, always, always nice to always see. Always loving a Mexican surfboard, and actually, this goes back to something that we've said quite a bit before about how actually submissions look great in women's wrestling because the women are usually so flexible, so you can really see like the extent to which they're sort of twisting each other and and things like that. Same as there is... as well. You always get the the arch, like they're able to arch their back and stuff, and yeah, kind of bend them yeah, so exactly. Better, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you get people in surfboard in something like a surfboard. The air, like the the gap between one person and the other absolutely huge in this like they're I'm not even sure how high off the ground they are but it just it feels like you get that sense of space and and elevation here and it just looks incredible yeah she also transitions the surfboard into a well kind of into into a Boston crab and then a reverse pendulum hold so she's kind of doing the crab but she's holding her off the ground and there's one thing that could have made that better is whenever people do the pendulum hold and then they walk their opponent over to the corner and start bonking their head off the bottom turnbuckle. <laughs> That's always like one of the best humiliation uh, tactics in wrestling. Um, after that, we get one of uh, a, a Joshi trope, a pile driver just out of fucking nowhere yeah, in like the no, first I, two minutes of the match. One, one thing I would like to say about this match at this point is that if you have an ASMR fetish, oh, this God. is literally the greatest match. This is six three ninety four to you. <laughs> literally, every move is screamed. Every single move in this match is screamed. Like Suzuka Minami is, she's clearly went and goes right. I'm at the dome. I want people to know I'm in the dome and I am wrestling. I don't care if you're in the front row. I don't care if you're in the parkhead or shift your view seats up the back. I don't care if you're getting a fucking steam bun in the concessions <laughs> or you've been chucked out for being too steaming like manpreet at Capilo. I don't care. You will know that I am wrestling. You will hear me and you will know exactly what She is not fucking about at all. She is... She is... It was, it, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, he, he always said that his key... Was when he the way that he was able to have a good stage presence is that he looked for the furthest away person and they go right you I'm singing to you up in row double Z yeah and the key is is that everyone else in front of him will think that he's singing at them and he's not singing right at the back and she's doing that in this match she's quite clearly vocalising and emoting and getting everybody involved doesn't matter who you are this this is the match for you. I know that not like as you say, it's like there's like you know six rich billionaires billionaires just sitting getting pissed in the front who are absolute boxing fans, but like she's like whoever is here, you're going to be involved in this match. You're gonna you're gonna stand up and take notice because this is the dome. I might never work here again, and I'm fucking going out. Yeah, and please go smashing it. And please go to the bar outside and get our new craft beer, the Trooper. <laughs> <laughs> is that an actual product that exists? Yeah, yes, that's the Iron Maiden yeah. beer. Oh, fuck yeah. That's, that's Morrison's. They're, they're the most real ale metal band of all time, and I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely love it. They totally are. Absolute training enthusiasts, a lot of them. <laughs> oh, God, they, they really are. I mean, I didn't even notice the screaming, but, like, I, I watch more Joshi it's, than you, so, like... It's honestly... 
I've, I've never heard a Joshi match from more screaming than this. It's, it's <laughs> like, this is a very special moment for David. It's like I've watched enough jo- enough Joshi that I've I've tuned out Eo Guy and Shinkiba first. Like Yo. horny perverts Yo. just shouting the name of their favorite wrestler in Shinkiba first ring. I genuinely don't notice it anymore when I watch Stardom or Tokyo Joshi or whatever. It just washes over me like white noise. <laughs> I wish people did that for Blue Wolf when he was in New Japan, because I think that would have been good. Dollar Seringin to Weaver's R! Mongolia's greatest export. So, uh, yeah, the pole driver out of nowhere is fucking horrible. Like, it's... Um, she was also... But the thing is, she was holding Koru in such a manner that I suspected she was going to do something worse, like a Ganso bomb or uh, oh, or something yeah. like like that. It's like there's something really sadistic about having someone in the pile driver position for a good few seconds before actually dropping them on their heads. She is such a heartless character. It's imagine. amazing. It amazing. <laughs> it's so I've got to say, yeah, there's a point that literally after the Tilt-A-Whirl backbreaker, which was the first part of the match, I then literally wrote, this is a mad sprint and I love it. And then before long you've got people countering all of these holds and like even then like the pace keeps going on so even when you have these moments where you think that things are going to slow down because you're getting into these quite intense sort of mat or submission moments the punctuation marks are very much in there as well so then suddenly like bump pile driver that's the full stop at the end of that sentence it's really well laid out the second move of the match is Minami just absolutely disassembling Kaoru at an atomic level with a power bomb. It's ridiculous. Oh, there's it's so many like power ma- bombs in this match as well. Yeah. Just absolutely waste her, and then that's like literally like eighteen seconds mm. into the match. But I don't want to. I don't want to overstate this because don't get me wrong, Suzuki Minami is is awesome. But there are. It's not a squash by any stretch. Oh, no, no, really, no. it's it's very backward. It's very back and forth, and Kyoru is definitely getting some great some great moments in this as well. You know, she's got it's it just hits home how she can do it all. Like she is really good at all, all the different elements of this. You've got you know you've got people submit submission games kind of back before people were tapping out in wrestling matches are, yeah. are not necessarily uncommon, but you know. She's not scared to go for lots of different things, and she's obviously got a really wide toolkit. Yeah, she has like lovely bridging German at uh, at one point. I mean, I was very impressed with Kaoru's high flying in this match because she does things yeah. that you don't actually see a lot of Joshi wrestlers do even nowadays. No. I'm thinking of the um, I guess she's like a bit taller than some of the wrestlers, but the uh, the plancher where she launches herself over the uh, over the ropes using the top rope to sort of give herself a bit of yeah. momentum. The um, the top rope moonsault, but she does it from like the the middle between the two turnbuckles, yeah. Uh, rather than doing it from the corner, not something you see. Uh, uh, I know uh, Yuka Sakazaki's finisher is not a moonsault, but she does it from the middle of the ropes, and she can fly. George. She can fly as the, as the song uh, so famously goes alongside its other uh, other famous light motif. Um, but uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. She she does really well. I mean, I. It, this is definitely was a sprint like that's exactly you're exactly right Sarah that is the genre in which this match falls I think for me a lot of it did seem like there wasn't a huge amount of psychology to it it was basically just like loads of cool moves but at this stage of the night and it went under 10 minutes that's it didn't exhaust you like this style of match would in again going back to PWG Reseda California yeah. Um, like, I think the, the trick is managing the psychology of that match and actually managing it in the context of the show as well. And it's quite hard for us to say, you know, we're watching these matches and talking about them out of order. Sometimes that's exactly what you need to break up the, the rhythm of the show as well. But as yeah. a as a match in itself, yeah, maybe it's not maybe it's not the most 
complex storytelling but at the end of the day you don't always need it no exactly i mean think of it as like it's placed on the card um think of it if you like go to one of these poncy restaurants and pay like 80 quid for a fucking tasting menu and they'll think of this as an amuse bouche uh, this this match it's like it's a small amount of cool moves and good wrestling and just to whet your appetite for the more substantive stuff that's to come but like in the meantime you're going to be watching like some amateur wrestling and kickboxing <laughs> exhibitions so it's kind of just to so, okay, we've got the wrestling um, coming up, so just to keep your eye in with, with regards to that. Stay with us, guys. There's some flippy shit coming soon, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I feel that you two are understating this, right, because I fucking adored this match so oh, much. It was, it was good, don't I, get me wrong. Yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of I it. I genuinely loved this match so much. Like, it was so fun. Minami is so good. Like, Minami does some great bumps. She takes a great bump to the floor. There's an amazing, like, rope break spot. Oh, with the backslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. awesome. And then, like, she just has her foot on the rope. And it, it was so... I've not seen anyone do it, and it was so, so good. I, I feel this... I, this might be a bit premature. I feel this might rank quite highly for me when we do the list of the matches, because... Again, Suzuki Minami was there. She's like, I'm at the Tokyo Dome. It's maybe the only chance I ever get to. I'm gonna go out, and I'm just gonna use my ten minutes, and I'm not, I'm not gonna fuck about, and I'm just gonna do the best match I can possibly do in those ten minutes. Because I'll be honest, I never heard of Suzuki Minami before, and I'm not just infatuated by the coat. I am infatuated by the coat. But that's not the point. Like that, she was incredible. She, I instantly wanted to seek out all of the Suzuki Minami that I could find because I was so impressed by her in this match. I thought she was amazing. I'm amazed that we haven't seen more of her at this point, because, you know, I reckon between us, between us, the three of us probably have more Joshi-watching experience than certainly much of the general population. I know there are people who are far more obsessive than us, but I'm, I, I can't believe that this was the first time I'd come across her. I looked at this match and was just like, oh, Kyoru! She's still wrestling. This is going to be amazing. I completely forgot. And, number, and she doesn't even win this match. Like, Minami wins this wins this match. Uh, um, absolutely. I definitely wanted to go and watch more of this. Although, I admit that I don't have a league table that I'm now developing I mean, in quite we, the we same sh- way We probably should this. do that, like, when we do the final episode. Oh, I Let's meant... No, rank, I meant specifically... Rank all of the matches. No, the I, I meant his queen-serving looks oh, okay. ranking. Oh, well, David's yeah. got his own separate one, so we're going to do, like... We're going to have to do, at the end of this, like, a comparison. And we're going to be like, how good are the matches versus how deeply does David feel about the person we're who's We're going to have the, the Sky Bet Top 23 uh, Big Egg Wrestling Universe matches. <laughs> Um, the the oh, the other thing, like actually, I uh, mentioning all of just looking at my notes, all the uh, very awesome Kau high flying uh, that top rope arm drag near the end, yeah, which that was the, now there was a top rope arm drag in the opener, yeah. um, which yeah. was pretty pretty decent. I think it was um, uh, whoever Yogi who did it, but um, uh, this was uh, on another level. And to be honest, the way in which Kau did it uh, made it almost resemble a Spanish fly. Yeah, that's... Which in 1994 was... I thought it was a Spanish fly at first. Yeah, it was almost like... They didn't do the backflip, but, like, they as good as did. Like, um, uh, it was incredible. Um, uh, Yeah, the finish was fucking... I mean, we talk about all of the... um, the power bombs we've seen off of Suzuki Minami in this match, and there were a lot. Uh, incredibly nasty Liger bomb oh, uh, to finish that. Oh, it was so head-droppy. Yeah. So head-droppy. It's like, 
well, Pete Dunne does the Liger Bomb in this manner, where there's some people who you kind of do it like Batista, like your sitting down is kind of incidental to the impact of the move, where it's kind of like the way Minami does it in this match. She's kind of like slamming her legs down on your shoulders as she's doing the power bomb somehow. I think as well, with that, the, the other thing that you think is, it makes me a bit strange, it has, a, it has an aesthetically pleasing snapping motion in the sense that, like, not only do mm. they snap down, but the legs snap up, and it's sort of like a hinge moving. Just cover your spine. Yes, but it's just like, you know, that sort of mechanical a hinge on a vault or something. Yeah, 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 I get what you mean. At the same time, and they're both, yeah, they're, they're, one, they're, they're fantastic. It's, um, yeah, like, what, what, what of this, I mean, the power bombs were hit, there were so many power bombs, and they were all unequivocally hideous. Like, all of them looked oh, like yeah. you needed a chiropractor after them. And Kaido's moonsaults were incredible. There's a Magistral. Oh, my God, this is... Like, have you ever seen a Japanese match that you've watched that had a Magistral in it that you've not utterly loved? Because I've not. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that, that's the rule. Well, ha- ha- Hazuki in Stardom, uh, before she retired, I think, was the A plus ultra of this. There's so many great roll-ups in this as well. There's one as well where, like, uh, Kaido goes into the corner she looks like she's going for a sunset flip but fucks it up but oh yeah manages yes. to adapt yes, it and I turn it into a move that. anyway and she she doesn't really she doesn't hesitate at all she's like he's a right okay I'm doing this now I think there's like there's a split second when she she lands on she pretty much she lands on the ground one of her feet is sort of still yeah. up on the bottom of the turnbuckle and there's a split second where she's just like oh shit and then she just immediately styles it out and it actually they sort of turn it into quite an awkward roll up type yeah. of thing that then well, gets a near fall well our friend uh, our friend uh, Luke at Oyster's Earrings on uh, Twitter is always of the opinion that like the kind of Will Ospreay type of wrestling where everything is just executed so perfectly and precisely kind of leaves him cold and one of the things he finds most interesting about wrestling is how when wrestlers fuck something up they recover from it and that's arguably like kind of more realistic and to him at least compelling than some a a really great athlete just doing everything perfectly so that kind of shows you i guess what a great worker koa is in that she was just able to pretty seamlessly work her way out of this move that uh, had clearly you know, to seasoned watchers like us, gone wrong. But I guess to the casual fan, they wouldn't have really thought anything of it. Yeah. No, and I think it also happens quickly enough that you know there were probably people who, I confess, I actually missed the finish of this match because I was writing a note about the failed moonsault that had just gone before it. So I'm sure there were a whole bunch of other people who were just looking the wrong way and didn't even see this, and it didn't interrupt the flow of the match. And at I all. think that's kind of wonderful. Like it was such a frenetic pace to this, where it was like Hurricane Runners and roll ups and magistrals and all that, and it was all over the place. Like the first, the first minute. I was writing my notes in all caps, just going, "What the fuck is it like?" Just da 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 da. You couldn't really <laughs> breathe because it was just a move every like five seconds. And I think they obviously they were using it because they were using their time limit to its advantage. But it was such a frenetic pace where you you, you kind of were kind of caught up in it, where you kind of thought, you know, what any of these could be a, a winning fall. It's not necessarily going to like obviously it was a big move, but you could you could have easily have seen a magistral winner or a roll up or something like that, or even one of the other. Mm-hmm. had his power bombs because it was just a case of this could end at any moment on any move and yeah um, I thought that the, the pace really behooved it and made it such a good match uh, for me and I just and it's just how how wonderful is it just to watch matches that are like fucking nine minutes long it's so good yes. oh it's 
it's it's it's beautiful. Like that's this is one thing I'm really enjoying doing these uh, doing these first few episodes of the of the podcast. Actually, just looking at the undercard even before we get into the amateur wrestling exhibitions. Um, just uh, just some nice undercard matches you can just watch and uh, and and enjoy. And they're, yeah, they're providing what this match does. I mean, when I say it just felt like a succession of moves, I mean that's exactly what it was. It's not my favourite type of match, but it 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 succeeded in. Uh, doing what it was trying to do, and it was a really good example of that type of of sprint match, just where it's like, okay, these are these two wrestlers who they're not in the main event, but they're going to show you exactly what they're capable of uh, in their you know differing styles of wrestling, and I think mm. they re- I think they really did that, and I think Kaoru definitely provided I think a more compelling taster of what Gaia would eventually be than Bomber Hikaru was able to True. in the previous match I mean obviously that was a tag match so she had less to do but I think Kaoru really wowed me in this match and, and Minami as well yeah I mean in terms of where they were in their careers at this point I can tell you that um, so Suzuka Minami debuted in 1985 Kaoru debuted in 1986 so they are in theory, they're kind of roughly equivalent sort of power levels. Um, but Minami actually retired in May 1995. So she didn't have much of a career beyond this show either. So uh, I'm wondering, I, I wonder what happened here. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, that she didn't, she didn't stick around for too long after this. It's like, um, uh, there's something no, they'll have no cultural resonance to Sarah or George, to be fair. It's like, a lot of the old grindcore bands are to like terrorise and repulsion, released one album and then fucked off and done nothing ever again. And it was like, <laughs> and it was like the Although best the other ones had time. like second albums that were that awful that you were kind of glad they. Well, that was a problem. <laughs> you were kind of glad that others had, you know, not disappointed Tenorizer you. Terrorizer performed it 20 years later and they did a second album and it was hideous. And everyone, they like, <laughs> to the point where like people just stopped recognising them as a band and like. The drummer's like tribute band where he just plays all the old songs in the first album. They just, he's just like, that's the real band now. Oh, that's even sadder. Yeah, they're just yeah, like, that's what they, like, it's, it's they should have fucked off to teach uh, teach economics like your man out of sarcophago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting though, these these first couple of matches mentioning the the Gaia talent, the 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 Gaia people aren't winning. Like Bomber Hikaru didn't get the pin for yeah. her team. Kuru's not going over. Obviously, Chigusa's going to go over later in the night because <laughs> yeah. you know, she's Chigusa fucking Nagaya. What are you going to do? Uh, but it's interesting that they're, you know, it's a showcase for the company and they've. I think Kuru in particular has given you a really good idea of where she's going to, uh, of where the company's going to end up. But it doesn't, they're not putting them over particularly strong. No, they're not. But like, I mean, it's, uh, I obviously they're wanting to, I guess, keep Nagaya sweet. Uh, but um, they're a fledgling promotion in comparison with JWP, LLPW, uh, FMW. So I guess that kind of stands to reason the other uh, promotions do get booked stronger on this show and there are people placed in more prominent positions. I mean, even the guy who's, um, guy who's top star is in the 80s nostalgia match on the undercard. So um, mm. I guess it's certainly the uh, the small fry uh, in comparison. Although guy would become on uh, go on to become a very, very big deal in the world of Joshi, probably the biggest Joshi promotion at the time it was at its peak. Mm. And not to mention amongst its amongst its brood of its progeny, uh, Mako Satomura, who then goes on to be, you know, a rather well-known face in Joshi herself. So she sticks around for, you know, she grows up through the, the Gaia system and then eventually goes off and becomes 
probably one of the best wrestling trainers in in the world today and is booking so many people who've done the same rounds on like Chigas's promotions and things like that as well so she's Gaia sets the tone I think in a lot of ways for what comes after more so than some of the other promotions that we're going to look at um so they're an interesting case study I think at, at this point because Chigasa is someone who is rebelling against what's being expected of her in terms of her retirement and the idea that she's supposed to go back into, you know, and train people and sort of go gently into that good night before she's hit her 30s. Um, And she continues to... I mean, number one, she's still doing that today. But number two, she's provided so many opportunities for people who AJW didn't want or or people who would not have fit AJW's criteria at different points as well. Or just people who were loyal to her. And yeah. uh, in the same way that um, when Keiji Muto left All Japan to form Wrestle One, like half the roster went with him, just because they were like his guys, people he trained, etc., etc. So yeah. yeah, I mean the Gaioism, as uh, as Sarah says, is definitely still a force in Joshi. I think that kind of marks a quite nice capper to the Gaia talk because I don't think we're going to get to talk about them um, elsewhere on the on the card. I think that's all the mm. Gaia involvement um, uh, at the moment, but. Um, uh, I mean, in episode five, we're going to go on to talk about other Joshi promotions who were involved in this show. But uh, for the meantime, that is it as far as we have gone. So we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can follow uh, myself and David at Poet Podcast on Twitter and Sarah at Sarah Parkin One. So um, everyone got anything they would like to plug before we uh, send the listeners on their merry way? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll plug myself. Um, you can, so, Viano14 on Instagram, um, as well as that, I run a podcast about Partic Fissile. Games are coming thick and fast. And, yeah, we're on uh, on uh, at Drawlers or Draw. Um, it, it's quite funny. Um, the podcast is it's not it's not really... I, I try and spice it up a bit by putting in, not just having people chat all the time. Um, there's kind of, we have interviews, so we're interviewing a lot of our... Uh, a lot of ex-players, a lot of uh, heroes of ours, um, some uh, like it's it's incredible the amount of love that people have. It's it's mad that people are just willing to talk about the club, even with people who like Steve Lawless plays for Livingston now. It's under no illusions, he doesn't have to speak to us whatsoever, and he just took up all his time. He's offered to, you know, do more. Same with um, Comrade Balotoni, all that. All these players, they all were all ex-players that to me are heroes. They are absolutely icons for me like people that you know i have a great emotional resonance and they're all just so happy to take their time out to speak to us and it's just it's absolutely lovely and so it's we're doing lots and lots of stuff for that over the in the next couple of weeks and months, so give it a listen if you want. Yeah, annoying, annoyingly, it's already more popular than Poe Poe Podcast. <laughs> Although, so, um, um, after, after a few episodes, episode three, um, the ratings did crater, so we're back down at Puro Puro levels. Um, yeah, where you belong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's genuinely a really good listen. Like, I, I know. I only know about Partick Thistle, a football club, from basically who we follow from the podcast uh, Twitter account. But like, it, it, it is good. It's just like uh, it's a bunch of guys who clearly have a great passion for their club and know what they're talking about, probably because they actually go to the games and uh, and follow the team. Besides, receive wisdom in the Scottish Daily Star. But like, um, like I, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd, re- I'd really recommend it. It's a good time. They have their. 
differences of opinion, but like they're, they're always able to articulate them and see where each other's coming from with the different perspectives. And like, it's, it's really, really good. I'd, uh, I recommend uh, giving it a listen. Um, anything, anything, anything else? Uh, anything else from yourself, no, David? I think that's it. But I will um, say that um, our other cohort, Daniel, um, he's not here, still on assignment. Um, but you can go, you can buy his music from handlinglament at uh, you can also do that from me at fastbuck.bandcamp.com, but to be honest, handlinglament.bandcamp.com, his is marginally better than mine, and he's actually... Put, <laughs> he's put, marginally he, better than well, yours. This is it. He's it. put more effort than me in, and he's a bit more serious about it, but as well as that, he knows his complete shite as well. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's yeah, like, it, it, he could do it with it more than I could. So, yeah, handlinglament.bandcamp.com. And you can follow him at Handloom Lament on Twitter as yes. well. He's in one of his uh, spells of actually posting on uh, on Twitter. He's he's uh, he's good value, much much better value than the Adpo podcast account certainly. So uh, do do follow him uh, on there. So you got anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I mean to be honest, my Twitter account is mostly just me complaining about bosses. So I'm I'm going to be content. honest with you. Yeah, I mean don't get me wrong. If you have strong feelings about public transport, then uh, at Sarah Parking One on Twitter is absolutely where to find me. Sometimes I talk about other things. You love the guy who was at, um, outside my work today, and I was getting the bus home um, because he was absolutely raging because the bus didn't turn up. So I think you, you two get on quite well. And he, he actually asked the bus driver what happened to the other bus, and the driver was like, I don't fucking know. Oh, there's no point. <laughs> I, I, I'm always know. so tempted to do it, but like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they've they've got no fucking idea. Care. The bus is their oh, realm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing as well is they are yeah. fundamentally uninterested <laughs> because whatever traffic shit. jam made your bus late, they had to sit yeah. through. So I, I don't blame the drivers. I blame you know poor urban planning, um, and incompetent bus companies. Uh, um, but yeah, you set so it off again, from, David. Aside from yeah, that was no. I brought up the buses first. To be fair. Um, but yeah, so I do tweet about other things as well at Sarah Parking One. Um, but probably um, the big thing I've been involved in recently is um, Women Love Wrestling, which is an anthology of writing um, by and about um, women in the wrestling industry. Um, so I'm I'm in it. Don't worry, my bit's short and near the beginning, so you get it out of the way quite quick. Um, like that opening match. Exactly, exactly. It's a sprint. It's a sprint. It has some fun reversals. And she does a sky twister press. Yeah, there's the a great tilt wheel backbreaker, I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, so my, mine is about how um, companies are increasingly acting like, ooh, women wrestling fans, what a novelty. And the fact is, we've always been there. It's just that nobody made anything that was worth us watching for a long time. Um, but AJW in the 80s is kind of the, the obvious counter to that argument. Now, most importantly, there's a bunch of other people writing about a wide range of subjects. It's available to download or to order a paper copy um, from Amazon. We'll put everything out there in terms of the, the links to download. But Profits from the publication are going to Rain in the US and Women's Aid in the UK. So really, really valuable, you know, causes to be supporting. And to be honest, just a general shout out, even if you don't want the book, even if you don't want the book, you know, just give them some money. Like they'll they'll use it well, we promise. Um, that's my big thing, really. Um, I'll keep an eye on our social media channels because I've got little bits and pieces and to be honest it's mostly just me scribbling things in brightly coloured pens but things that will actually lay out 
some of the stuff that we've talked about in ways that are, you know, probably make more sense than my actual speaking. Yeah, if you want to see Sarah, Sarah, Sarah's notes are a thing of beauty, so uh, if you want to see pictures of those, then like do uh, do uh, have a look at our social media channels. Uh, speaking of social media channels, you can find writing by ourselves at 2xfootstomp on Twitter. This is the Twitter handle of the website I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. That's I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. Um, and basically you just we've just got a load of uh, wrestling articles on there. Uh, wacky reviews of robot wars within the style of uh, of wrestling reviews. Um, articles about uh, Sarah writes a lot about women's wrestling and why Borna Carlo should be in the Hall of Fame. I did a long I only wrote about that once. <laughs> All right. You mentioned it several times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stand by it. I didn't do the I didn't do the same about why Vader should be in the Hall of Fame, not just because he actually did get end up getting in the Hall of Fame. I wrote an article about that as well. I wrote something called "Is Antonio Inoki a Remainer," which I'm very uh, I'm very proud of, and uh, just a lot of a lot of good fun on there. Our, our good friend Patrick W. Reed does these quite thoughtful, contemplative um, pieces on wrestling. If you're looking for something like that, um, I have also published. Uh, under my nom de plume of George Twig, which is definitely not my shoot name or anything, uh, a novel called The Rise and Fall of Vicky Dozan. Um, so you can find this uh, on Amazon. Uh, you can get a Kindle edition for £2.49 or a uh, Print Ottoman paperback edition for £14.99. So it is a novel set in the world of Japanese professional wrestling in the late 50s and early 60s. And it's about uh, Vicky Dozan, who was the first professional wrestling star in Japan. He was also its biggest sports star and biggest TV star. And it's about my uh, protagonist getting sucked into the shady world of professional wrestling, getting to meet his hero who is idolised throughout his teens and realising that his hero maybe isn't the sort of virtuous character that he thought, featuring cameos from a whole host of Ricky Dozan's most famous opponents, including figures you might have heard of, such as Luthes, the Destroyer, and Classy Freddy Blassie. And um, it's, it's, it's also to do with wrestling's place in Japanese society at the time, a society that was recovering from defeat in the Second World War, and how the spectacle of Japan overcoming America in the ring may have uh, played into the re- recovery from that trauma. So, yeah, he's got a few sort of deep themes which still uh, resonate. So um, people seem to like like it, um, even some people who know absolutely shit all about uh, wrestling and specifically Japanese wrestling and specifically Japanese wrestling in the 50s and 60s. Uh, people seem to like it. I've got nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon uh, at the time of recording, so hopefully that uh, stays the same. So, yeah, if you want to check out a uh, pro wrestling-based novel, then uh, chuck some money my way. It would be appreciated, and I hope you get something out of it. So uh, I have been George Thompson. Thank you very much for listening to episode four of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. Uh, for David and Sarah, I'm signing off, and uh, thank you very much, and see you next time. you've ever sent me were 134 blatant libel 136 more blatant libel <laughs> let's do our best to not get sued by Chaparita Asari during the next hey, hour I'm not going right? to say anything uh, derogatory about Chaparita not. Asari let me tell you no could you no, no. absolutely no. Um, right so uh, who introduces this again uh, generally me or it has been for the first three apps happy to continue That's yeah. The time. yeah on you go do you want to just get get uh, get a drink over here? One second. Um, I've decided to cheer myself up.
um, in these dark times. So I bought Lil. So you you bought Lil? Yeah. Oh, I bloody love Lil. I've not had anything for ages. Lil, it's, 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 it's with great power comes great responsibility with Lil, right? Because if you have it all the time, you just yeah, like it ruins it. Like you just be, you don't want Lil to become normal. Do you know what I mean? That's, That's true. That's just your Caligula levels of excess. <laughs> but so you need to, yeah you need to, you need to rash uh, ration your lilt um, and you have it when you're feeling a bit low. Um, I would recommend lilt zero as well. My old work used to have lilt in the fridge, and we used to get a birthday card every year from our work that gave us a voucher for the canteen for like five quid, and I used to just go in and rate, like panic buy lilt. <laughs> Like, stockpiling milk. I would buy any food, just all the lilt. Lilt Zero is legit a really good idea because I love lilt and I haven't had any for ages, but it is mostly also just because I stopped drinking fizzy drinks really because they're so sugary and also because they tend to make me burp an awful lot, but mostly the sugar. Uh, So I was just like, so actually a lilt Zero might be the treat that I need to get me through like the dark times ahead. Lilt Zero is actually better than normal lilt. So yeah, really? I, I love it. It's great. Um, really getting off to a flyer in terms of just a lilt chat to start off this episode. 